One, two, three, four. Welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's seven, and Kenny, he's four. And I have three kids. Tony is 13 and Libby and Nate are 10. And they are so adorable, aren't they? So adorable. Okay, we both like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Would you like to go first, Katie? I really want to go first, and I also want to uh, tell two stories, one about each kid. Is that allowed? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Okay, so the other night I had a date night with Kevin and I was getting dressed and I came out of the bathroom and I was wearing a dress of some sort, nothing fancy. And I just asked the boys, how do I look? And Kenny said, mom, you look great. I just really wish you would wear your dress with the letters. And I was like, my dress with the letters? I can't think of what that is. Tell me more about what it looks like. And he said, you know, Mom, your dress with the letters. And I went into my closet and I was pulling things out. Does this have letters? Because, you know, we went to library school for a reason. I love a flamboyant print. So it's very (laughs) possible that I had a dress with letters on it that I had just forgotten. But I looked and I looked and I couldn't find it. Fast forward to last weekend, I come out of the bedroom, bleary eyed, ready to like start the day with the children, wearing my comically oversized t-shirt nightgown that says, coffee please, on it in giant letters. And Kenny's like, yes, mom, that one, the dress with the letters. Oh, your glamour dress. That's hilarious. Oh, so it just warmed my heart. Kids will love you no matter what you're wearing. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's really cute. And then I just had a funny realization that also was kind of heartwarming. So I've got two good stories this week. I feel good about it. Nice. I'm on record as really kind of disliking Dogman, especially reading it to my kids. I'm fine Mm -hmm. if they want to experience that on their own, but... I don't like reading it. Second grade has been such a revelation for us in terms of independent reading that we were listening to the soundtrack of the Dogman musical, which I didn't realize existed in the car. And the song was happening and they mentioned a character and I was like, oh, I didn't realize this guy was evil. I thought he was a good guy. And Jay explained to me the whole backstory of this character and how he was evil and then he later became good. And he had absorbed that from reading Dogman books by himself. Was it Petey? No, it was uh, Flippy. Okay. Oh, okay. Because I Good only knew him. Flippy from the Cat Kid Comic, yes. Cat Kid Comic okay. Club book, so I didn't know his old backstory, but Jay did. And I was like, wait a minute. This was not from something that we read together or that you read with your dad. This is just purely information that you absorbed from reading a book by yourself. That's awesome. Good it for him. Made me very happy. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> This story reflects poorly on me, 
because I did some laundry and I didn't fold it and I didn't fold it and I didn't fold it and dirty laundry kept piling up. So there are clean clothes in the house. They're just not in drawers folded. So Libby couldn't find any socks. She was all out this morning and I was like going to scramble and get the basket of unfolded clean laundry and Nate just rolled his eyes, took her by the hand led her over to his drawer and let her choose from amongst his folded clean socks. It was so nice. Oh, I love it when siblings get along. Yeah. And also benefits of being a twin. You can wear your twins clothes when your mom doesn't do your laundry. Hey, you had done the laundry. Folding laundry is just an extra unnecessary perk, Deborah. I'm just going to dump it on the middle of the upstairs floor next time and they can just scavenge. Yeah. You have a a blue bucket for dirty clothes and a red bucket for clean. There, Bob's your uncle. It's done. (laughs) Well, should we talk about screen time in the news? Let's do it. You found a good one for us this week. I forced you to read about uh, Michigan State University professor's study, uh, Professor Keith Hampton did a study that took place before the pandemic where um, he and his crew of researchers surveyed 3,258 rural adolescents in order to measure the effects of screen time and self-esteem. So they're very interested in um, teens who have like no internet at home or poor internet access due to rural broadband issues. They found that this will not be surprising. The single largest predictor of having lower self-esteem as a teen is being a girl tracks. And then the second largest determinant of uh, poor self-esteem for both girls and boys is having poor grades in school. And then after those two categories are out of the way, then they can make some conclusions about screen time use and internet access and its effect on uh, teenagers. So kids who have poor internet access at home or who have strict parents who really limit their access to things like social media and internet websites and video games, they also have low self-esteem. Roughly half of the lower self-esteem experienced by a typical girl. Or those with lower grade academic performance. (laughs) We're laughing because it's not funny. No, it's not funny at all. (laughs) Okay, go on. Sorry. The the professor chart of the study recognizes that teens spend a lot of time online, and that is where they are basically getting like the fodder that they use for socializing. So a teen who's like really out of the loop in terms of uh, internet use and internet access isn't going to have the same like baseline level of information when they go to interact with teens their age who are spending like a more average amount of time on the internet. This brought me back to my my teenage years when um, there were a couple of homeschool kids that were sort of like in and out of the social web that I interacted in. And they 
were super out of the loop because their parents had really restricted like what they could read, what they could listen to, what they could watch. And then similarly, when I was a teenager, I lived in a rural, let's call it geographically challenged area, and we didn't have Fox, like the oh, network. And so wow. I never watched The Simpsons because mm-hmm. it just wasn't available, even though we had cable. So when I went to college, everybody like on my dorm floor would watch Simpsons, whatever night it was on. And I was like totally out of the loop. Like I knew who the character Bart Simpson was, but I didn't have any of the baseline Simpsons jokes or anything. So like, I totally identify with these like poor rural teens who don't have a fast internet at home or who have like really strict parents. So I liked the conclusion of this study. It was like, what we always come around to is that parents, this is, I'm just going to read a direct quote. He says, I advise parents to not focus on how long your teens spend on screens, but to take an interest in what your teens are doing online and spend time together. So it's not really the act of being on a screen that is the problem. For some teenagers, the low self-esteem is caused by not having like that baseline knowledge that other kids have. And so then it's awkward when they go to socialize or they're just not able to make the social connections because they're not texting or chatting or whatever. I thought this was an interesting kind of like spin the problem around on its head and look at it from a completely different angle than we're used to. Yeah, this study took a lot of zigs where I thought it was going to zag. So when you first sent me the link, I was like, oh, it's going to be such a downer because we're just going to be talking about the digital divide and how we need to invest more resources and providing broadband to rural communities. Totally valid. I'm exaggerating my own reaction here. So they didn't take that tack, as you mentioned. They mentioned it, but like, Only in passing, the fact that the study took place among rural communities was almost incidental. And then Mm -hmm. they just like took a little trap by, oh, yeah, it is just across the board terrible for your self-esteem to be a girl. And then they just like did a little trot by that. That wasn't what they were going for either. (laughs) And then for them to end up at my favorite conclusion, which is that all the people who are like, super regimented in their control of their children's screen time are wrong that that was just it was just so refreshing and a lovely place to end up I know so we read like a synopsis of the article on SciTech Daily but the original study is published in Social Science Computer Review and so we'll we'll link to the summary that we read online listeners so you can read the results for yourselves Yes, as usual, I'm 100% sure that there's more nuance in the actual text of the paper um, and that there was probably something lost in translation in the summary that we ended up reading. (laughs) Always, always. So have you watched anything good since we last spoke? Yes, and I have to get to it. Okay. It was like a late-ish night when I don't know what Jeremy was doing, but we weren't watching something together. I think he was gone. And I turned on Netflix and like the recommended thing that came up was Gudetama. Have you heard of that? It's I like haven't. a little anime thing about like an egg. And I just, it was very the classic, like I was watching something made for kids, but without even like realizing it, <laughs> it was really cute. I love it. What is it like a movie? Is it a show? 
Long form, short form? It's a Japanese import. Okay. And all the episodes were pretty short. Like, I want to say 10 minutes. Uh, Wikipedia tells me it's a cartoon character from 2013. So it's probably been around for a while. And, like, the algorithm just decided to feed it to me because my kids have been watching Osaki Ojimbo. And so then we get, like, a lot of anime stuff that pops up in our feed. So that was cute. This is a funny bit of coincidence because I have also been watching an Asian import and really enjoying <laughs> it. Um, so the algorithm the algorithm fed my kids this show called Brown and Friends. Have you watched it? I have not. It's, I think, out of Korea, but I don't have the Wikipedia entry up in front of me. And it's just these really short vignettes about this bear who presumably is called Brown, but there's really no speech. It's like all made up of those exaggerated facial expressions and emotion indicators that we're used to seeing in anime. Mm -hmm. So it's a really easy to follow story, whether you're a kid or an adult. It's a little bit about falling in love and trying to get a girl to like you. And it's a little bit about like, the satisfaction that you can get even working like a blue collar job or like a service industry job, but it's also just really funny for the kids. I've been really enjoying it. Netflix? Yeah. Okay. What was yours oh. called again? Gudetama. All right. I'm going to have to check this out too. Yeah. Should we move on to today's main topic? I think we should. All right. Today we are talking about Matilda the Musical. It is an adaptation on Netflix of a popular 2011 stage musical. Rated PG, comes in at 1 hour 57 minutes. It was directed by Matthew Warchus. Warkus? Directed by Matthew Warkus. Apologize if I am butchering the name. And he wrote the original musical with Dennis Kelly and Tim Minchin, who did the music. Kelly is also responsible for the screenplay for the film. Matilda is, of course, based on the classic 1988 Roald Dahl book of the same name. The movie was co-produced by TriStar Pictures, Working Title Films, and Netflix. It was theatrically released in the UK on November 25th, 2022, and released in the US on December 9th. So it's taken us a little while to get there, but we did take a bit of a holiday break. <laughs> uh, it became available to stream on Netflix on December 25th. So for those of you who don't know the bare bones of the story of Matilda, get the to a library immediately. But I will just say that Matilda is a young bookworm who is bullied by her parents and her school's truly terrifying headmistress. And she develops telekinetic powers in order to fight back. We picked it because Matilda the book is a classic for bookish girls everywhere. And I actually saw the stage musical, I want seven or eight years ago, and it made exactly zero impression on me. Like, I did not remember any of the songs. So I was really interested to see if the movie version would hit any different. I also saw the musical probably around the same time. Uh, I think it was like a Broadway traveling show. I loved it, I, but I also did not remember the songs. This story will come out, but I was a total victim of the acoustics in the theater in which I saw it mm. because the songs are quite fast and they're very word heavy. There's a lot of word play. Um, yeah. So if you're in a space that can't accommodate that, especially with a chorus of a lot of young children, just it was a terrible combination of factors that meant I just couldn't understand anything that was going on on stage. Sure. <laughs> 
It was so well, bad that they had to send uh, CDs of the soundtrack <gasps> out to everyone who had attended because they had gotten so oh, many complaints. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is bad. Yeah. Bummer. Well, I'm glad you got to see it on the TV where you can turn on the closed captions, which is how I watched it with my kids. So let's talk about our general thoughts. What did you think of the concept and the plot? I loved the book Matilda growing up. I don't know about you. Did you have the same experience of it as a kid? If I read it, I have no memory of it. And I liked Roald Dahl, so I probably read it and didn't absorb it at some point. I feel like there's a nerdy girl who feels she's misunderstood by society pipeline, and it starts with Matilda, and it goes through Pride and Prejudice and Jane Eyre. Mmm, yes. And also Harriet the Spy. See, I never read Harriet the Spy. Maybe that was your replacement for Matilda. Yeah. And I also really liked the 90s movie version, which was reset in America and starred memorably... Danny DeVito and Real Perlman as Matilda's parents. Oh, that's right. (laughs) I remember that version. (laughs) So how does the tale resonate with you as a bookish girl? I love it. A bookish girl fighting back. Come on. That's so great. She can conquer all the people that are mean to her with just her brains. Yes. Oozing out of her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So did you like this movie? I liked this so much. I liked it so much. I want double the amount of what I saw. I wanted to watch it again immediately. I was just so instantly charmed by every aspect of it, which made me so happy because I was unsure after my bad experience of it to begin with. Yes. I wondered if I liked it so much because I disliked Pinocchio so much. And this is like... (laughs) The next thing we watched, there wasn't a whole lot of space in between, but I thought it was excellent. I loved it too. So cast and characters, was there anybody that you particularly loved or hated? Did you see any of this coming from Emma Thompson? Like if you had asked me what big name actor they would get to play Miss Trunchbull, I would not have gone with her in a million years. But she was so perfect, so terrifying, so not herself. I loved it so much. I didn't even recognize her. I mean, she's wearing like a lot of like a nose prosthetic at least and like fake bad teeth and stuff. I didn't know. Like I looked up IMDb, I don't know, halfway through and I was surprised that it was her. She was so good. I do. That's like my one little quibble with the movie is that I think her nose was made to look like I feel like I have a trench bowl no- nose because <laughs> it's like bigger than Emma Thompson's like regular nose and not as refined but I was like really can't it be like grotesquely deformed instead of just like normal kind of big nose <laughs> For the record, I have never once looked at you and thought, oh, man, Trunchbull knows. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not see one aspect of your visage mirrored back to me in Emma Thompson's performance. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Lashana Lynch. She played the teacher, Miss Honey, who was... She's like everything that Trenchbull is not. She's like sweet and kind and thoughtful and like loves teaching, enjoys children. And she's been abused and persecuted her whole life too. So I just, I just thought she gave an 
extraordinary performance. Yes, I agree. She did a great job. And she's kind of like an actor, like in the manner of like Jonathan Groff. Is he the guy I'm thinking of? Like really, really good actor. And then on top of all that, she can sing. (laughs) Yes. That closing number between her and Matilda about holding one another's hands. Oh my gosh. I know. Tears. And then the little girl who plays Matilda is so good. So charming. Yeah. I I really thought the whole, and then like, like just all the kids, like there are some really great scenes where like the whole school is dancing and singing and it was really enjoyable. I have to put in my one quibble. The little boy who played Bruce Bogtrotter was awesome. And is that the one who eats all the cake? Yes, he has yeah. to eat the entire cake. And that little munchkin can sure dance. But <laughs> I would have liked to have seen them actually choose a chubby little boy to play that role, as opposed to putting a pillow under his vest. Yeah, that was a weird choice. Yeah, because yeah. I know you want to find a good dancer, and I appreciate that. But gosh, can't we just get some representation for kids on the other side of the size spectrum, please? Yeah, because they can dance too. But that's my only complaint about the cast. So what did you think about the look of the movie? It's set in the 80s, correct? Or like 80s-ish. Yeah. Like the colors and like the parents of Matilda live in this very ostentatiously decorated home and uh, the mom wears her hair really teased and permed and the dad has really inventive outfits (laughs) (laughs) i thought they did a really good job of adapting a stage show to the screen in a way that made it feel more expansive they did a really good job of using exteriors there was a wonderful song that took place on like the road going out of school as all the children were leaving school and singing their songs and a lot of scenes where matilda was in this bookmobile and you would see the environment around her it gave it a very British sense of place that I thought was mm-hmm. really nice and is something that you can't necessarily accomplish on a stage. But when they needed to use some of those stage tropes, they did, I thought, still to great effects in a lot of the numbers that took place in like the main refractor, refractor, in the lunchroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they would move the desks and the benches around a lot like stage sets. And I actually thought that was a really effective way to use the space too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I really liked all of it from like the very beginning. It starts out in like a hospital setting and the color palette is really, it's like really saturated colors, really fun imagery and then in contrast the like it's not a I want keep wanting to say boarding school it's not a boarding school it's like a day academy and that everything there is like really dreary and dungeon like inside I it, it the set just really helped to evoke everything that you were supposed to feel about Matilda's plight I was curious have you watched many of the like professionally shot stage musicals at home I'm thinking like kind of like Hamilton was would be the buzziest example 
Probably just Newsies and Hamilton. And I really like the way they did Newsies, and I don't think it would have been as effective if they had tried to expand it to more of like a real world setting. Mm -hmm. And I was, again, a little worried how Matilda would feel in this way, but I thought they did a really good job. I don't think it would have been better to have seen a professionally staged or a professionally shot staged version. I would watch that now having seen this movie but I liked the way this movie was done it just occurs to me now do you think there was a bit of a conversation between this director and like the color scheme and the setting with like the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory oh or Charlie now that the you Chocolate say Factory? that those like super saturated colors I don't yeah. know Because this was kind of like opposite. Charlie lives in this really dreary setting. He goes to the factory. Everything's like technicolor. And this was kind of like the outside world is technicolor. The interior of the school is really grim. I like that thought. Maybe. What did you think about the writing? I thought it did a really good job of walking that line between things that would be funny to grownups watching and things that would be entertaining for kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would kind of like to go back and read the original book because Roald Dahl wrote his books a long time ago and they're not always um, politically correct or like they're not woke like we want our children's literature to be woke now. Um, So I'd be curious to contrast that with the original, but I haven't done that. I think a lot of the spirit of nastiness and just the violence that these kids were confronted by was still there. The one piece of writing, and this is kind of straying into the territory of the length and structure of the movie, but there were parts set inside the world of this story that Matilda was telling to the bookmobile librarian. Mm -hmm. And it was a story about this escapologist and his wife, the acrobat, and blah, blah, blah. You later find out that this story that Matilda thinks she's been making up is actually some kind of psychic link she has with another character Mm -hmm. which I don't think was in the book and if any part of the movie dragged to me or felt less entertaining it was those parts but it might just be because I'm a bookish nerdy girl and I want like the training montage of Matilda learning how to use her telekinesis instead of more of the story of the escapologist and the acrobat. Did you have any feelings about those segments? I had, I had an opposite feeling of that. Like I really like it when you read a novel and then there's like a story within the story. Like I love reading novels about writers and sometimes you'll read a writerly book where there's the writer's like writing a book and then you'll get an excerpt of that. I think that's really fun. So I, I liked that part. And then when you realize that it's not just made up, that it really happened, that was a fun twist. Now we're spoiling the movie for anybody who hasn't Sorry. seen it. <laughs> and can we talk just briefly about how awesome the librarian was? Yes, she was so great. Another character that I don't really think is in the book. And she... Provided this like little sanctuary for Matilda, who was had such a terrible home life. I liked that a lot. And she was very encouraging. Like she's just can't wait to hear the next installment of Matilda's what we think is an imaginary tale. Yeah, it's so nice to have these little moments of kindness in Matilda's life. And when Matilda stalks in and is like, show me the revenge section. And she says, I don't think we 
have a revenge section. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good line. So we talked a little bit about the choreography already and um, how good it was. What did you think about the music now that you could understand the lyrics? I thought they were so fun. That was a big contributing part to how I thought they were able to walk the line between entertaining for kids and entertaining for grownups. They were super fast, and I could totally see in hindsight how that could be a problem, especially for a touring company of young actors that are doing fake British accents. I don't know. I can see how that was iffy on the stage, but I thought it was great fun in the movie. What did you think? Yeah, the songs are very fast and very wordy and very fun. I would listen to these songs on their own, like when we watched Spirited. I liked the songs and they added to my enjoyment of the movie, but I don't think I would like to listen to that soundtrack too much. Agreed. But this one I could, I could definitely like play in the car, sing along to them. It was fun. I know we already touched on it a little, but I do just have to say again how spectacular I thought the choreography was. Uh, The choreographer was Ellen Kane and she did at least some of the choreography for the stage musical. But man, that first moment when Matilda goes to the school and all the other children are on the other side of these iron bars and then mm-hmm. they slam into this musical number and they just use the levels and use those iron bars to such great effect. It was just some really thrilling dance. Very fun to watch. What did you think about the structure and the length of the film? I can't say it dragged at all, even though... It was long, but if I could cut anything, like I said, I would have cut those portions about the escapologist and the acrobat just because they felt more disjointed to me. Yeah, it was a little bit long, but you could break it up. You could do half one night, half the next if two hours is too long to watch with uh, your kids. But I usually I complain about a longer movie, but not this one. Were you able to compare this to any movie or TV show made for grownups? I was not. I compared it instead to a book that I just finished. It's a memoir by writer Emmy Neatfield, Neatfield, and she wrote a memoir called Acceptance, all about growing up as like the child of a hoarder who couldn't take care of her and then like an absent parent who also couldn't take care of her and she had this terrible traumatic childhood and adolescence but she was really 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 smart and she just clawed her way out of a terrible situation like her foster family didn't believe her her social worker didn't believe her she had this mentor who advocated for her but was like stymied by the all the system rules and then she eventually went to harvard just achieved a level of greatness that was like just unbelievable considering her circumstances so I don't know she reminded me of Matilda or Matilda reminded me of her because she had such a terrible home life and then she got to like the writer she got to boarding school and she was also treated poorly there by like her school counselor and stuff oh man yeah and still she persevered because she found her own like Miss Honey who kind of guided her it's a true tale. It's sad. I'm really glad that there are people out there to read books like that so I don't have to because <laughs> it just makes me so sad even hearing it. But I think this isn't a new book, is it? It came out last year. Oh, 
Okay. It's what? very much like the Glass Castle and Educated. Like Educated that is the one I'm thinking of. Okay, okay. I was also not able to compare it to a movie or TV show, so we both failed. But it did <laughs> obviously make me think of one of the best and one of the oldest revenge tales, and that would have to be The Count of Monte Cristo, which mm. in my defense, I did not actually read until I was an adult. So we'll just count it as something for adults even though it's actually a children's story. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? So I thought that the little girl who played Matilda looked a little bit like Kristen Wiig. Oh. So I would like to see, I guess, kind of a SNL sketch with Kristen Wiig doing her like little hand character <laughs> as Matilda. And then I'm totally like typecasting based on actor ethnicity but i would like to see leslie jones play like kind of a butch miss honey then i would like to see amy poehler and tina fey play like the parents oh and just be like total jerks to their child i think that'd be fun and then maybe pete davidson as like a trench bull oh no okay (laughs) (laughs) he'd have to really show some range because he seems like a kind of a gentle person actually It would be a surprise right out of the gate, just like Emma Thompson. Yeah. (laughs) How about you? You did so much better than me because I just could not even try. I liked this movie so much. I thought everyone was so excellently cast. I just couldn't mess with any of it. It was perfectly cast. Yeah, it was great. Do you think it was better when we were kids? We do have a direct example of a Matilda movie that was around when we were kids. Was it better? I think there wasn't quite anything like this spectacular when we were kids so in this instance I would say no it wasn't better when we were kids we definitely grew up in kind of a lull for movie musicals right because you Mm -hmm. had that time in the 70s when like they were churning out all these classic movie musicals and then by the time we were coming up in the 80s they were kind of a dead genre so we were watching all the old ones but the idea that a movie musical like a big flamboyant movie musical could succeed was not really in the zeitgeist i mean annie would be the closest thing that i can remember but that that's an older one would you ever watch this alone voluntarily I probably would. It was good enough, but my kids really liked it too, so I don't think I have to. Yeah, I think I totally would. It was it was great fun. So that brings us to 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids. You watched it with all your kids? Yes, and this was a time when I was like, I have to watch this for my pa- podcast. This is what's going to be on the TV tonight, and none of them wanted to watch it which when I tell them they have to watch something it's just like homework and they don't want to do it but then everybody loved it so it turned out great yeah Jay had the same attitude and then he was like sucked in by the middle of it it's a two-hour sit so it was a little long for my kid's age Mm -hmm. and Kenny being only four I mean there were definite moments of hilarity for him but it was just there was too much going on for it to really stick but that moment when bruce bogtrotter burps after eating the <laughs> chocolate cake and the burp is like this multicolored cloud that just wafts over it to emma thompson and then bursts in her face so she can smell the chocolate he was like rolling on the ground he thought it was so funny <laughs> <laughs> ratings i would give it a five Five, I for sure. I'm giving it a five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. 
Well, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time Too. If you enjoyed our show today, please share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at My Screen Time Too, or you can send us an email to myscreentime2 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments. Our website is myscreentime2.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to, and sometimes because we like to. Bye. Bye. Screen time. Screen time.